Hi, I'm Claire Mitchell, QC. Welcome to the Witches of Scotland podcast. I'm a lawyer who specialises in miscarriage of justice cases, and we're bringing you this podcast because we want to tell you about the women who were accused, prosecuted, convicted, and ultimately executed as witches in Scotland. I'm Zoe Vendatotsi, and I'm a writer who's always had an interest in the witches, and I feel that this dark mark against Scotland needs a reckoning. The campaign Witches of Scotland wants three things. Firstly, a pardon for all those convicted of witchcraft. Secondly, an apology for all those who were accused as witches. And finally, a national monument in recognition of all those who are affected by this terrible miscarriage of justice. Over the forthcoming weeks, we'll be talking to a whole host of experts about the history and the modern day connections to the witches of Scotland. Welcome to Witches of Scotland mini Christmas episode. Are we calling it that, Claire? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably based. This will be a nice informal one today because we're just going to do a couple of short episodes over the Christmas break so that we can keep in touch with you listeners. And we've no guests as such today. We're just going to have a chat ourselves about a few topical witch issues. Claire, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we have been sent some information by Herr Hegler, who you'll have heard about in previous episodes, who is a German pastor who's campaigning across Germany to have all the people that were killed as witches there over the centuries recognised. And he's having great success over there. So he sent me an article about the church becoming involved in the recognition of the fact that these women were killed as witches, which is something quite new. Before that, we'll, as usual, name some women who were killed as witches. Well, we'll keep that up. So I think I'll start with a couple of women. These are women that we don't know very much about at all. Their names are so so ordinary for the 21st century. I was quite struck by that fact when I was looking at them. The first one is Margaret Maxwell. She went to trial on the 12th of November, 1629 in Dumfries. She was female, she was married, and the outcome of her trial is not known. The second woman is Agnes Campbell. She went to trial on the 24th of November, 1629. That was an heir. She was female. She was married. And again, the outcome of her trial was unknown as well. So again, when we've looked at the statistics on this, the likelihood is, unfortunately, that when people were accused of witchcraft and went to trial, the likelihood is they were convicted of it. It's just that the records don't show that. It's interesting that though, isn't it? That they, they went to the bother of recording. I mean, I know there were scant details, but they went to the bother of recording those things in the first place. It seems strange to me, and maybe there's a reason, a good reason for this, but it seems strange to me that they don't tie that up properly with, you know, the outcome. Or well, is it just basically that if they had been accused, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that they were going to be executed? No, I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I actually think it has more to do with the fact that after the first wave of witchcraft trials, where they realised they had to get control of it somehow, so that these weren't going on absolutely everywhere over Scotland constantly, you'll remember that they had to grant commissions to allow trials to take place. So most of the records we have are of the grant of the commissions. 
right. not of the outcomes. So somebody in, would be granted a commission, say, in Edinburgh to go and try trials elsewhere in the country. And those people didn't come back and say, here's the outcome of our trials. They might right. have been recorded locally. It's just that we don't have any of the local documents anymore. But I think the part of the problem is that we have records of, uh, of commissions being granted of trials, but we don't have the outcomes of them. And that, Claire, is why it's useful to have Claire Mitchell QC. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> I'm not because my position, my presumption would just be that they went, ah, oh, you know, you lot are all accused. We'll not bother tying it up because we know what happens to you witches. You know, and I, I would see that there would be some sort of skullduggery. But what it is is two sort of separate paper trails then, basically. Yeah, I mean, there was... There was an element of foregone conclusion about accusing someone as a witch and taking them to trial, primarily because there was very little that that person could say to get out mm. of, of doing that. I'll give you an example, actually. And I was listening, not that I'm obsessed, I was listening over recently about the Salem Witch Trials and Melvin Bragg in our time did a talk on the Salem Witch Trials. And one of the experts on his show was saying, that you could, I think I've maybe said this to you before, I don't know if we've said it on the podcast, Zoe, that if you could show that you were in a different place at the time, for example, if somebody said that they thought you'd been out dancing with the devil on a certain time at night and other people said, no, she was home, she was definitely there, we saw her in her bed. The answer to that was that you could split and take two different forms one that would stay in bed to give the, the impression that you were just lying there sleeping and the other to go out and dance with the devil. Now, that was what was put in place in Salem. I've not heard of any of those sorts of divergence of the individual in the Scottish cases, but it just shows you how difficult it would be, even mm-hmm. when you had a steadfast alibi with everyone saying, no, we definitely saw her. She was definitely in a different place at a different time. She wasn't dancing with the devil, but for someone, at least in the Salem Witch Trials, to say, no, I, I saw her. She was, she was out there dancing with the devil. The reason for that was that she could be in two places at once. I mean, like, that makes me think of two things. The first thing is that, of course, the American version of this would have a much more Hollywood <laughs> angle. It's, it's, like, it's like the sort of the, you know, like making a model in your bed and you've escaped prison that you, yes. you know, filled up with, I don't know, blankets or bandages or something like that. But the other thing is, and this is the thing that I, that people don't say this very often, but I always think this. If you were actually a witch, you were actually in league with the dead, and you could do things like, you know, fly or float in an egg cup or make a, an army of cats do your bidding, set things on fire. How could you not just use those amazing magical tricks that you have just to get out of this small issue of some humans trying to strangle you and then burn your body? Like, it makes no sense. If you were actually a witch, they'd never be able to catch you. No, I know. It was was exactly logical. Absolutely. The lady who had in Orkney, do you remember the lady in Orkney who had was accused of putting a curse on her neighbour who was a sailor and she turned herself into an otter and she had gone out and the sea was really, really bad and he had seen this otter and he realised it was her and she was coming to see how her spell had been cast. It was like, you know, don't you think at some point if you're able to turn yourself into any sort of creature, you would have done that just before they were strangling you in order to I mean, turn a pyre? Do you not just turn into a wee sparrow and just fly away? 
or something. You know, it just it doesn't make any it just beggars belief. It just shows how stupid it all is. No, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all. But then they were of the time and Julian Goodyear said that they absolutely believed that the difference mm. among them and this was happening. And presumably there was some justification for them not being able to do that at a certain time. Because you know, we we certainly can't have been the first person to have thought, why didn't you just use their no. powers? So maybe the thinking was that because you'd thrown your lot in with the devil, that because the devil wouldn't follow a sort of like Christian logic that, you know, he would think, well, you know, I forsake you and it's no big deal. You know, I'm probably imposing too much narrative structure on this, to be no. honest. Trying <laughs> no, to work I mean, it out. Possibly. I mean, that that would that would make sense. You know, well, if you've been found out, you're you're on your own. I'm not going to look after yeah. you, I suppose. I mean, I. I'm also trying to impose some sort of logical structure on really what's quite an insane, uh, you know, apologies if this seems a bit rude, but on on really what's quite an insane structure of belief in some ways anyway. Like, for example, this isn't directly about witches, but I would like to share this with you because I think it's so interesting. My friend Catherine Owen, who is a supporter of the show, it's okay to mention that, posted a thing on Facebook a couple of days ago about putting her realistic... I think it was something else that she'd shared. Somebody put up a realistic angel on the top of their Christmas tree and then there followed a kind of a thread underneath. And I don't know if anybody's seen this, but it's this completely bonkers. You need to Google it if you can. I'm not sure quite what you'd put in, but it's this really weird shape with loads and loads of little false eyes stuck onto it and like this massive sort of amazing shape of feathers right and it doesn't it doesn't look particularly humanoid other than the eyes and she was saying on that that that's you know the person that, that shared that originally it was supposed to be like a realistic interpretation of like um seraphim or cherubim and what angels really were and about how there's there's a really strong school of thought that the phrase be not afraid could actually be quite happily translated as please stop screaming, I've got something important to tell you. And that when angels <laughs> appeared, they were really terrifying. And I read somebody else had written on the thread that originally that the angels were meant to be something completely bonkers, like a thousand feet high. You know, they were like enormous, big, terrifying structures. So, I mean, I'm not sure quite what the construct at the time of the, of the witch trials were, of really what angels were, really what, what devils were. But, you know, I think if you've got room within that, that belief structure, then really maybe it's 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 silly to get mired in the thought that a witch could turn into something else to escape. You know, when you've got a thousand foot many eyed angels, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I did know. I did see that. It, it kind of looked like a, I was going to say bagel, but it's not a bagel. What are the other ones? The pretzel. It looked pretzel. like a pretzel with lots of eyes yeah. and feathers. Or like one of those toys that you get, like those metal things that are sort of akin to a slinky where you bend them into the different shapes. Yeah. Somebody gave, my sister-in-law gave my kids them for Christmas and they're really peculiar. So yeah, I thought of that with the, the many eyes and feathers. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy to, to see the work of human imagination, but I just think there's a real lack of the work of the human imagination when it came to the um, the killing of women accused as witches. No, it just I, doesn't make sense. I mean, that's that's only one of the, the things that can be levelled at people who are killing women as witches is a lack of imagination. That's... Yeah, I'm sorry. That's probably not a very high on the on the, the list of important stuff to think about it. But that does always strike me. It's odd. You know, I I agree with you because um, again, just as a slight aside, 
I went down to the castle at the bottom of the Royal Mile where you can get those sort of walkmans that you put on and you, you walk through the place and they tell you mm -hmm. all about different parts of it. And they said, if you look up on the roof, you'll see life-size angels. And I thought, how do they know they're life-size? What? Yes. <laughs> Human-size. Yeah, they're human-sized angels. Having diverged slightly onto the issue of angels, Zoe, you have got an email, I think, that was sent to us from Councillor Kate Stewart. You'll remember in the last episode, she said that she had identified the names of the women who had Indeed. been killed as witches in Torryburn. And she said that she was going to send those to us. Yep, which she did, which is marvellous that she sent them over. Now, all these women were, again, horrifyingly strangled and then burned, just like Lilius's fate would most likely have been if she had not died before that. There's a group of names here that I'll just read out, okay? So we've got Grissel Anderson, Agnes Brown, Margaret Cowie, Margaret Debbie, Elspeth Guild, Margaret Horn, and Christian May. And all those women were obviously convicted and then executed and I don't think we have more information than really their names. Not at the moment I think Kate's working on it and any more information we get we'll certainly be passing it on but if anyone's listening from that area and has more information please do get in contact with us we'd be delighted to share more of their story if they can. The really sad thing about this is we're sharing their story of the end of their lives and that that bit's recorded but we don't have anything about them as people themselves yeah I know and that's the thing I think we're, we're doing the best that we can with the scant information that we've got but I just really wish that we knew things like you know did they have children what did they work as you know what did they look like you know and I think there has been some work done in sort of imagining but I mean obviously there's no way really of knowing really much other than sort of what the norms might have been at that point but yeah at least we can say their names Indeed, indeed. I'm glad for that. Herr Hegler has been in contact again with us, Zoe, as you'll know, and mm -hmm. has sent us an article where he's quoted, which has been in the Times UK and also the Times Scotland. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it basically is telling the story about how in a Bavarian city of Eichstadt, there was an estimated 400 people tortured and executed for, quote, consorting with the devil. One of the things that they, they give in the article, which is quite horrifying, is that the interrogators devised their own method for confessions and denunciations, which we might more accurately call forms of torture, yeah. um, including one that they've mentioned in the article called helmet cutting, in which a spiked metal band was tightened around the head. It's just, God, the ingenuity that could have been used for sort of positive things is just so terrible. But there were about 25,000 people um, again, like there is here, mostly women, but there were also some men and some children, um, which I'd like to come back and discuss at some point, Claire, actually. But yeah. they were burnt at stake in, the, in Germany, in the sort of the German lands between the 15th and 18th centuries and added to the British law and the rest across Europe. There was about 60,000, I think, in total that were murdered. Throughout the whole of Europe, there was an absolutely mind-boggling amount of people that were killed. They reckon that over the centuries, a very significant number of those were from Germany. I think almost even up to half of them might have been women that were killed in Germany. Yeah, so, so like our contact, Hartmut Hagler, Herr Hagler, 
in Germany. There are other people as well, it seems, working away. They are trying to get the executions pardoned and, and so on, or at least definitely marked officially. So 400 years after all this, or thereabouts, the local Catholic diocese has actually spoken about it. And their bishop, Gregor Maria Hanke, has described it as a, quote, bleeding wound in the history of our church and has promised that they're going to put up a plaque in the local cathedral as memorial. And that comes after many years of different campaigners apparently putting pressure on both the Catholic and the Protestant churches to face up to their guilt. So there's a local, well, a Munich-based artist called Wolfram Kastner, who's also quoted in the article. And he's the person that's credited with pushing the diocese to look at its past and sort of make up for it a little bit. He says it's good that they've done something, but of course it's not nearly enough. So that runs alongside what Hartmut or Herr Hegler has been doing since I think sort of the mid 2000s. I think it's around about yeah. then that he started. So he's the person obviously sent us the article and he talks about the different things that had happened. And one person that he mentions is somebody who'd been talked about um, in Eichstadt, so in the town where the church has now made this statement. And it was about a local woman, I'm just scrolling for her name, Ursula Bonshab, who was a wealthy innkeeper and the mayor's wife. She was arrested at the age of 36 in 1627 and was in fact tortured for 20 days, which is just, it's hard to even get your head around that. And of course, at the end of it, she confessed. I'm sure she would have confessed probably to anything. But her charges included performing weather magic, digging up the bodies of dead children, of course, fornicating with the devil and poisoning people and animals. She was burnt at the stake, but was, and this is a quote from the article, granted the mercy of being decapitated by sword first. So, I mean, it's pretty insane, really, when you think about that, isn't it, Claire? Yeah, I mean, one thing is interesting, it's quite common, the the uses of the various different types of allegations that were made in confessions. And two of the common ones are obviously fornicating with the devil. One of the other ones is really, really common is controlling the weather, weather magic. You'll mm -hmm. know in East Lothian, part of the allegations against the women of East Lothian was that they were controlling the weather and thus causing very bad weather at sea, which were causing people to lose their lives. And it's, it's strange to see that as a constant throughout societies that women are being blamed for natural things occurring in the weather that people are placing a narrative on. They must have a reason for it. There must be a, a reason that, that you will have inclement weather or something like that. And they were just looking mm -hmm. for the easiest people to blame. I know in the article as well, Zoe, there is a political scientist who's quoted as Eva Martini. And the quote from her is, quote, women were still craftspeople in the Middle Ages, and there were even guildmasters in some cases. This mm -hmm. type of persecution and view of women actually succeeded in pushing them into a marginal position in society. Now, you'll remember we talked about the women who used to brew very weak beer and who were pushed to the outside of that craft by both the church who didn't like women working and also guilds of men that wanted to take over the craft itself and how in the very, very early days those became connected with the idea of witchcraft because the women had the cauldron, she would be brewing up the weak beer and people would say in order to 
discredit her, don't don't drink her weak beer, it's cursed, or there's a spell on it, or there's a bad brew. So it's quite interesting, again, that that's been picked up in Germany as well, clearly. There yeah. were women there that had got to fairly senior levels in their guilds. Yeah, we should say as well at this point that the article was actually written by David Crossland, who is, I presume, British, and with that name anyway, and lives in Berlin, and it was himself that had forwarded his article to Herr Hegler. I think it's a really interesting article because it does it does show that there are people that are working hard to make amends in this situation. And what's quite interesting, I think, from our point of view is that the campaign that you're leading, Claire, isn't necessarily about getting an apology from the church, but there are people like the uh, remembering the accused witches of Scotland that are saying that that's part of their mission statement, which is to get the, the church to kind of reckon with that. We're looking at a state apology, aren't we? Yes, I mean, um, I would be absolutely delighted if we had the church apologising. And in this article, I was really, really delighted to see that uh, Bishop Hanke had moved towards that and had promised to place a memorial plaque in the local cathedral. It's a very small move in Mm -hmm. many hundreds of years, but it's something. And if it was a start, that would be absolutely fantastic. And if anyone has any knowledge of any churches in Scotland or, or anybody in a religious capacity, who has taken on the issue of what happened to women as witches, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear about that. What we're really looking for, and I suppose it's because I was thinking about it in a legal sense, is I was wanting to clear their names because these women remain convicted as witches as history shows us. And what I really would like to do is to have their names cleared, legally speaking. But that doesn't mean that I wouldn't also be delighted if any church came forward and were to give an apology. That would mean that would mean a great deal. I know that we get contacted by lots of different listeners and, and other, other people. I just wondered, Claire, have you, because I'm not aware of this, has anybody of any religious organisation been in touch? No. Not, not. No. I wonder if anybody's listening, or if it's if it's just not sort of high on the agenda. I suppose there are other issues that have been more recently played out about about things that have happened in different churches. Maybe they're kind of focused on that just now. But it would be good if we could get some an understanding of where the different churches might be feeling about this just now. Absolutely. If there's anyone who who knows, please do get in contact with us. And let us know. You can get us as contact as ever, as Zoe would see at the end of all our of all our episodes on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can email us as well. So please do get in contact because we mm-hmm. do love to hear from you. I think we've got an episode coming up, a mini episode coming up next week, also Zoe, where we go through some communications from people that have sent us letters since we yep. restarted the campaign in September. Yeah, we do. So that'd be that'd be nice to do that. We're not going to mention their names just now, though, are we? We'll just wait and see how we get on next week. Yeah. <laughs> Build anticipation. Is that is that what we do? <laughs> That's showbiz, baby. That's showbiz. <laughs> so, is that is that all we have for today in our little mini episode? That's all we have today. Other than to say, we hope everyone's having a, a really nice festive break and wishing everyone all the best for 2021. We very much hope it's going to be a better year than this year. Oh, yeah, please, please. I'm going to I'm going to eat more turkey sandwiches. That's my plan and also some Coca-Cola ham. I'm going to eat them and while I'm eating them I'm going to I'm going to think really hard positive manifestation thoughts about how great 2021 is going to be. 
I not only hope it for whole of civilization, but also just for us, so we can get out and about and start seeing oh. things and visiting them. Could you imagine? I hope be great. I'd be like we're out of the ground. That'd be great. Although I'm saying that like I've been at work, so I'm I'm not. I haven't actually been locked in, but but yes, it would be nice to be able to just go about our business again. Absolutely. All righty. Well, we okay. wish you all the very best, listeners of Witches of Scotland podcast, and we will speak to you next Sunday, which will be the new year. Oh, gosh, so it will. Brilliant. Okay. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about the Witches of Scotland, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up for our mailing list at www.witchesofscotland.com to keep updated with the campaign. On that site, you'll be able to find how to link with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.